Early Thursday morning, Vladimir Putin ordered military operations in eastern Ukraine, warning soldiers there to lay down their arms. With Ukraine's foreign minister declaring it a full-scale war, President Biden has condemned Russia for its unprovoked and unjustified attack. We speak with a foreign policy expert about the crisis. I'm Georgia Howe with Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief John Bickley. It's Thursday, February 24th, and this is Morning Wire. L.A. District Attorney George Gascon does not have the support of his staff. Nearly all of the prosecutors who work for Gascon support the effort to recall their leader. The no-confidence vote comes as the new DA is under fire for his progressive agenda and soft-on-crime policies. And players from the U.S. women's soccer team have settled their lawsuit for equal pay with U.S. soccer. We have the details on the agreement. Thanks for waking up with Morning Wire. Stay tuned. We have the news you need to know. This show is sponsored by Birch Gold Group. Inflation is destroying the dollar. Birch Gold Group can help protect your IRA or 401k with a precious metals IRA. Text WIRE to 989898 to claim a free info kit on physical gold and silver. There's zero obligation. Text the word WIRE to 989898 to protect your savings today. Early Thursday morning, Russian President Vladimir Putin announced military operations in eastern Ukraine. Shortly after, Ukraine officials confirmed that several cities were under attack. In a statement, President Biden condemned Putin for choosing a premeditated war that he said will bring a catastrophic loss of life and human suffering. Putin's military aggression followed the announcement of U.S. sanctions against Russia. Now President Biden plans to address the country later today to announce further measures against the Russian regime. Joining us to provide some insights on the rapidly developing situation is Niall Gardner, former advisor to Margaret Thatcher and director of the Heritage Foundation's Thatcher Center for Freedom. Here are some highlights from our conversation. So the world's watching as Putin takes extremely aggressive action in Ukraine. What's fueling this invasion? What are his goals here? I think it's really about uh, power and imperial Ambition, and of course, Ukraine was a, a former part of the the Soviet Empire, and in many you know respects, uh, you know, Putin is trying to rebuild what earlier generations of Russian leaders uh, built. Along with these ambitions, energy is also a key factor at play here, and, and really, energy helped lead to the crisis. What role does energy play in this whole situation? Many European countries are heavily energy dependent upon the Russians. And this is a key factor why European governments have been hesitant to take a tougher stance against Russia, because they need Russian energy. The Germans and the Russians have been working together for many, many years to build what is known as the Nord Stream 2 uh, pipeline, which uh, basically channels uh, energy supplies from Russia to, to Germany. But the Germans have just announced that they are suspending the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. That is a welcome development. This pipeline should never have been built in the first place, and the Germans should never have entered into this you know, agreement with, uh, with Moscow in the beginning. There are multiple Western European countries that receive you know, around a quarter to a third of their energy supplies from Russia. You know, countries such as you know, France, Italy, big players in the European Union are increasingly energy dependent, not quite to the same extent as Germany, but... They're moving in that same direction. 
Now, the U.S. has already announced some sanctions on Russia earlier this week, and, and President Biden has signaled that he will take more action. Do we have reason to believe, though, that sanctions are actually a good way to pressure Russia? Well, sanctions have, you know, some limited impact. And it's clear that sanctions should be applied right now to Russia over the uh, Ukraine invasion. But, you know, in order to be truly effective, sanctions have got to be very hard-hitting and very substantial. Now, uh, the Russians are increasingly aligning themselves with, with China, the world's second largest economy. There's growing collaboration between Beijing and Moscow. The Russians think that they can weaken the impact or lessen the impact of, of European and US sanctions by close, closely cooperating with, with the Chinese. With Putin now invading eastern Ukraine, we, we have people declaring this already a, a full-blown war, including President Biden. What would war in Europe look like with Russia? Well, I think it would be a bloodbath, actually. If this is expanded into a much bigger invasion, I'd expect that tens of thousands of people will be killed. The Russian regime is barbaric and it's evil. They do not have any concern for human life. They will kill indiscriminately uh, and they will slaughter men, women and children. This will be the reality of a war in Ukraine. Well, things are moving very rapidly now in Ukraine and it's, it's looking quite grim. We'll see what moves the US and NATO take next. That was Heritage Foundation's Niall Gardner. Coming up, LA prosecutors turn on the city's controversial DA. If you're with Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, you're paying too much. Switching to Pure Talk saves the average family over $800 a year. Go to puretalk.com, find the right plan for you, and enter promo code WIRE to save 50% off your first month. As Los Angeles continues to suffer from waves of violent crime, a new effort is underway to recall the city's district attorney, George Gascon, who campaigned on a promise to bring progressive ideas to the city's criminal justice system. Daily Wire's Cabot Phillips is here with more on the recall effort, as well as new audio from the case of a sex offender benefiting from Gascon's policies. So, Cabot, first, can you give us some quick background on Gascon and what led us to this recall? Yeah. So Gascon won his 2020 DA election fairly easily after campaigning on far-left criminal justice policies. After taking office, he passed a series of reforms that, among other things, reduced sentencing requirements for felons, prevented prosecutors from seeking life sentences without parole, and banned all juveniles from being sentenced as adults, even in violent crimes. Now, almost immediately after taking office, there was friction between Gascon and prosecutors in L.A., a.k.a. the people actually enforcing his policies. They sued to try and block a rule that would have prevented them from seeking longer prison sentences for certain violent crime and other felonies. But most people in L.A. didn't really seem all that bothered initially. That was until violent crime and homelessness spiked in the city. Yeah, how did that impact his standing? Well, immensely. We've covered on the show quite a bit how L.A. is in the midst of a massive violent crime wave, with homicides increasing 11% last year alone to a 15-year high. And many people have blamed what they call soft-on-crime policies from the DA's office for the uptick. For example, there have been numerous instances of felons being arrested and let go multiple times over the course of just one week. And that's causing Gascon's prosecutors, the people meant to be on his team, if you will, to turn against him. According to the Association of Deputy District Attorneys, that's the union representing prosecutors in the city, 97.9% of its members voted in support of removing Gascon from his position. 97.9%, yeah, almost, 98%. Almost everyone. The union's hmm. president, Michelle Hennessy, issued a statement on the vote saying, quote, this vote is by those who are intimately familiar with how Mr. Gascon's policies 
actually play out on a day-to-day basis. Now, Gascon has already faced one recall effort last year, but that attempt failed before it even reached the ballot. But this time around, there does seem to be a lot more momentum building in support of a recall. There was one story in particular that drew nationwide outrage against Gascon. Tell us about that. Yeah, this one's pretty wild, and it's being called a final nail in the coffin by critics of Gascon on both sides of the aisle. It involves the case of James Tubbs. So back in 2014, Tubbs assaulted and molested a 10-year-old girl in a Denny's bathroom, but wasn't caught until last year. After being caught, Tubbs began identifying as a woman and changed names from James to Hannah. Because of Gascon's new policies, despite now being 26 years old and having committed the crime just two weeks before their 18th birthday, Tubbs was tried as a juvenile and sentenced to just two years in a juvenile detention center with the possibility of only serving six months. In addition, Tubbs will not be registered as a sex offender because, again, of Gascon's new policies. So there were some phone calls that leaked this week, which drew even more attention. What can you tell us there? Yeah, Fox News obtained calls from back in November where Tubbs, from prison, mocked the lax sentencing and laughed about not having to register as a sex offender. They're going to sit me on probation, and it's going to be dropped. It's going to be done. Done. I won't have to register. I won't have to do nothing. For an offender, you don't have to register? I won't have to do none of that. So what are they going to do to you then? Nothing. After those phone calls were made public, Gascon issued a statement saying he'd never heard them before. He said, quote, if we knew about her disregard for the harm she caused, we would have handled this case very differently. However, Jonathan Hatami, he's a district attorney working for Gascon, says that that's a lie and that he personally sent those phone calls to Gascon's office months ago. George Gascon's management wanted the jail calls. And then I have emails showing the folders with those jail calls being sent to George Gascon's chain of command. Now, Tubbs' victim, who was 10 at the time of the assault, just released her first statement. She just turned 18. She said, quote, the things he did to me and made me do that day were beyond horrible for a 10-year-old girl to have to go through. I want him tried as an adult for the crimes he committed against me. She also touched on the gender transition part of this, saying, quote, I've heard that my attacker goes by she, them pronouns now. It's also unfair to try him as a woman as well, seeing how he clearly didn't act like one when he assaulted her. Now, obviously a lot to go through here, but it looks like D.A. Gascon's days might be numbered. Yeah, it seems that way. Cabot, thanks for the reporting. Anytime. Daily Wire's Cabot Phillips. The United States women's national soccer team reached a settlement Tuesday in its lawsuit against the U.S. Soccer Federation. The lawsuit dates back to 2016, when five members of the women's national team filed a sex discrimination suit arguing that female players should be paid the same as male players. Here with the details is Daily Wire sports reporter Joe Morgan. So, Joe, a major settlement this week. Walk us through the deal. Yeah, so U.S. Soccer has agreed to pay the women's team a lump sum of $22 million, which is about a third of what they originally asked for. They originally asked for $66 million. According to the AP, the USSF also agreed to establish a fund with $2 million to benefit the players in their post-soccer careers and charitable efforts aimed at growing the sport for women. Going forward, the women's team will also receive the same pay and benefits as the men's team in all friendlies and tournaments, including the World Cup. So regardless of potential differences in earning, the women's team will make the same amount of money as the men's team. 
Correct. And in the past, the discrepancy in pay has been vast. For example, FIFA set aside $400 million for the 2018 Men's World Cup tournament, which included $38 million to the championship team from France. FIFA only earmarked $30 million for the 2019 Women's Tournament, including $4 million to the U.S. championship team. The women's team also receives a base salary and benefits, which the men's team does not. But with the settlement, the women's and men's team will make the exact same money in international play. And when does this go into effect? Well, technically, it's still up in the air. The settlement is contingent on the creation of a new collective bargaining agreement by the USWNT Players Association. According to The Athletic, once a new CBA has been ratified, the district court will be able to schedule the final approval of the settlement. So they received about a third of what they asked for. How did the members of the USWNT take the news? They were elated. Megan Rapino called it a, quote, huge win and that the team put their foot down. You know, for us as players, I'm just so proud um, of the way we stuck together and um, really just kind of put our foot down. Now, when we discuss equal pay, does this mean that the women soccer players will be making as much as the men across the board? Not across the board, no. The majority of money that soccer players make actually comes from outside of these international tournaments. For example, Cristiano Ronaldo plays for a club team during the regular season, and he made $70 million in salary in 2021. For comparison, the top-earning women's player, Carly Lloyd, made $518,000 in 2021. So when you take club league pay into account, the pay difference between male and female players is still enormous. This also doesn't take into account endorsement deals that individual athletes negotiate with brands, which can be extremely lucrative. All right. Well, thanks for the update, Joe. Yeah, you got it. That's Daily Wire sports reporter Joe Morgan. Another story we're tracking this week. The websites of several Ukrainian government departments and banks were hit with a cyber attack on Wednesday. Among the websites impacted were those for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the Cabinet of Ministers. If you like this episode and are interested in hearing more, subscribe to Morning Wire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening, and give us a five-star review. That's all the time we've got this morning. Thanks for waking up with us. We'll be back tomorrow with the news you need to know. If you like this podcast, get the Morning Wire newsletter delivered straight to your inbox when you join at dailywire.com slash subscribe.